0: Welcome to the Destiny podcast. We hope this message blesses you. This session is going to be about why we prophesy. Um, And so again, they're going to go into that in great depth throughout the week. But um, I just want to help us understand that, um, again, prophecy is to encourage, to exhort, to edify. It's to to lift us up. It's to help us see who we truly are. Um, And so... I think um, we maybe should talk very uh, maybe a bit briefly about who we are. Um, I think a lot of Christians um, would give you a lot of different answers to that question. Who are you? What, you know, what is it that makes you, you? And, and I, I'll probably go into this uh, further on in the school. I'm going to have a whole week of teaching that I'm going to do. Um, So again, I'm not going to go into this in great depth, but, I do want us to just grapple with some of these topics of, uh, of of this uh, topic of who are we and what are we? Um, Because it's very easy for us to drift away from the truth and base the answer to that question on how did I do yesterday? You know, what's the last hour been like? What do I see in the mirror? You know, like the very, real tangible stuff we deal with day in, day out can very strongly influence our answer to that question, who are you? What are you? And this is actually why um, if you ask a lot of Christians, well, who are you as a Christian? Their answer would be almost immediately, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner. And you know what? A sinner saved by grace is not a bad uh, label. The problem is people don't actually believe that the by grace changed anything. So like they go, "Oh, I'm a sinner uh, saved by grace. But what they mean is I'm a sinner, right? And so I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Um, But the thing is a sinner saved by grace is no longer a sinner. The saved by grace changed something. It did something. And so we fixate a lot of the time on the sinner part. And we forget that saved by grace changed who we are. It changed us on a fundamental level, and uh, and I would propose, if I'm honest, that uh, even the sinner part was a bit of a um, a delusion in one sense. Paul says in Colossians, "You became an enemy with God in your own mind." We were never enemies with God, and so how we saw ourselves it was it was in our minds that we were warped. It was in our minds that we um, that we were so far from God. Um, in fact, I think. Uh, Paul Jane talked last week about um, repentance briefly. Did she? I, I feel like I was working in the back, but I think I overheard that. And so we talked a little bit about what it means to repent, to change your mind. And uh, that's a, an amazing word. It's the word metanoia. And the, the two components of that Greek word, meta and noia, are just change. So meta, we use that in you'll see that in Latin a lot, um, sort of metamorphosis and, and words like that to mean, to be a changing. Um, and noia just means minds. Your are you you're, you're, you're thinking and so it's just literally it just means change minds um and so when we say repent we're saying change your minds when that word is coming through and through and through in the in the new testament it's change your mind change your mind change your mind now what's interesting is it has another word in the old testament because they didn't write greek um they spoke hebrew didn't they and so in the old testament it's this word teshuva uh, which is a fun word um teshuva and uh this word teshuva, again, it meant to, to change your mind. Um, and so oftentimes you'll hear people talk about it as a turnaround, go the opposite way. You know, uh, repentance means to be going one way and then turn around and come back the other way. And, and in one sense it is, it, it does mean that. It usually leads to that. You know, if you change your mind, you're going to change what you do. Um, but this word teshuva is so rich and so deep because what it means is actually um, at its root is remember who you are. And the word teshuva, in its roots does not say you are a sinner, turn around and become a good person. The word teshuva says, remember who you are. It says, you are a child of God. You are made in the image of God. You are perfect in all of your ways. You're holy, you're righteous. Remember who you are. And so there are moments in your life where you go off the beaten track and you mess up and you go and wander off and become whatever you become. And God says, teshuva, remember who you are. And so in the Hebrew and in the Greek, repentance is never again a finger pointing saying, get yourself sorted out. It's always a, hey, remember. I believe in you. This is who you truly are. And so this again is the, the call of prophecy and actually prophecy and repentance are really closely linked. But again, if you see repentance as, hey, you're doing something really bad. You need to stop that, cut it out. Then you're going to twist repentance, you twist uh, what God's all about, you twist how people can perceive and engage with God because you make it about the sin, you make it about the wrongdoing, you make it about the mistake and actually God is never about that, he's always about this is who you truly are, come back, come join the path, come back onto um, the right side of the whatever line you have crossed on your journey. And we all do it. You know I mean? That you're, you're gonna see that we don't make a big deal of sin. I, I don't really talk about sin. I find it very boring. It's just kind of not interesting. Like sin just doesn't fascinate me in the way that grace does. Like grace is just much more fun to talk about. It's much more fun to walk in than sin. And so you're not gonna see us um, fixate on sin and talk about sin a lot because quite frankly, sin is irrelevant utterly irrelevant like where sin abounds grace abounds all the more and so whatever sin is in your life if I start putting grace into that situation it's bigger it's better the sin is irrelevant okay and so you're not going to see us fixate on sin but the reality is we all sin we all screw up every now and again right I mean like I don't need to convince you of that right pretty sure all of you can be like yeah okay I've done that right? We all mess up at times. We all, we all veer off that path. We all know who we are as God's children, this beloved creation, this amazing, perfect thing, just wonderful thing. And every now and again, we don't look like it, right? And maybe every now and again is very often. <laughs> you know, if you're anything like me, it's very often. And we need that Teshuvah moment where we go, oh, I have totally forgotten who I am and I need to come back to where I need to be. And so, we, 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 don't, we don't, we're not scared of sin. We don't, we're not, it's not, we don't talk about sin because we're scared of it or anything of like that, but it's actually because there's a bigger, better, more amazing thing to talk about than someone's sinfulness. And that is their righteousness. Why would you fixate on someone's sin when you can fixate on what God has done in them? And so, you know, if you read through Romans and I'm going to do a whole week working through Romans, um, but in Romans 5, it says that one man's sin caused the whole world to to enter into sin and to start to engage with sin and so so Adam screwed up, okay? Um, Adam and Eve screwed up. And then since then, everyone has been screwing up since is basically what he's saying. No one gets to escape the screwing up business. We all do it. Um, And he's saying, but just like one man screwed up and it caused everyone else to be in trouble. Another man, a second Adam came about and he's talking about Jesus, isn't he? And he says, and Jesus did one action of righteousness and it made everyone righteous. And so he's like, just like how one man sinned and everyone ended up sinning, Jesus does one thing of righteousness and everyone is now righteous. And his suggestion is why do we fixate on sin then? We don't need to fixate on the sin anymore. We can fixate on their righteousness. And actually the same person, Paul, in uh, the, uh, his letter to the Corinthians, um, he says, look, I no longer see people according to the flesh. He's like, I can't even see them according to the flesh. He says, I can only see them as new creations. Whatever is old, whatever is done is gone and it's complete new creation." And so we're going to go into this. You've got a new creation week. I'm going to teach a lot on this topic. And so I don't want to belabor it. Um, But at the same time, I think it's really important. We understand this, this element of who we are and also who is the person sitting opposite us. Because when you communicate God's word to that person, it's really helpful if you really understand. Well, as a basic thing, even if God hasn't said anything to me, how does God see that person? right? Because you know how God sees that person. He sees them righteous and pure and spotless and holy. Now they don't see it themselves maybe in the same way that we sometimes don't see it. But what do they need? What brings them to teshuva? What brings to repentance? It's not going, hey, you, you're screwed up. You did this and you did that and you need to sort it out because that doesn't do anything. It doesn't help. Going back to what we talked about in the last session, it doesn't supply faith, it demands it. It goes, you need to get yourself sorted out. You need to sort yourself out. You need to figure out your faith and you need to get yourself back on track rather than going, hey, let me give you faith. Let me remind you of who you are, remind you that you can do what Jesus does. And when we remind people of who they are and we we show people who they are, that equips them to then walk in that. you know, there's, there's so many, uh, examples I can give you, but a, a couple of examples. Um, I remember one time I was in, um, uh, I was studying in this school, uh, at Bethel, um, and they were teaching on the prophetic and, and they had recently just had someone, uh, come to the, sorry, I keep like sniffing cause it's a uh, hay fever season, I guess. But, um, I, uh, remember there was this guy and he, um, stood up at the back, uh, the the prophet of the house, Chris Vallotton, the the person who does a lot of prophetic words in the front, he um, got this person to stand up and he says, "You." he says, I see you, you're a holy man. And the guy immediately goes, and he's like, nope, shut up. (laughs) He says, you are a holy man. You are someone that just walks the path well. It's who you are. You walk the path well. You're holy you're righteous, you're in right standing with God and God sees you and he's pleased with you. He's pleased with the decisions that you make. You're, you're someone that makes really, really good decisions. And he was like, that's it. And the guy sat down and he looked like he was not not agreeing at all. And uh, this person came back to Chris, um, I think a few months later, and uh, he spoke to Chris and Chris had said, uh, how you doing? He's like, oh, do you remember me? And he's like, not at all, right? I mean, he must prophesy over lots and lots of people. And he said, like, well, you, you said this over me. And, And the truth is I was actually addicted to crack and I was currently homeless at the time. He's like, I was kind of living from people's houses to people's houses. And, uh, and I was like, I'm not holy. I don't make good decisions at all. And, and you told me to shut up and just listen to what I said. (laughs) Um, and so he's like, and, but I started to listen to it. I started to think about it. And he's like, I went home and I thought about it more. And I was like, and I just realized that is who I am. And he's like, and I just stopped wanting to take drugs. I stopped wanting to do that. And he says, I've, I've not been clean off drugs for a few months now. Um, I've been, uh, I've got myself a job and I've got myself a small apartment and I'm, I'm actually, he, I think he had split from his partner and he had kids and stuff and, and he's like, and that relationship is not that the relationship's getting back together, but I can, I'm starting to be able to see my kids a little bit and, and things like that. So there's, there's something about. Chris could easily have gone, you in the back row, you're addicted to drugs and God wants you to sort your life out, but it doesn't supply faith, it demands it. It says you go do something. I, and not only that, it shames, right? How ashamed would you be in front of a thousand people? Someone saying, you stand up, you're addicted to drugs. You'd be so ashamed. But God doesn't do that. He says, hey, I don't even see the problems surrounding you. They're so small compared to who you truly are and who I am with you. So let me tell you about that situation. Let me raise your standard. Let me give you that moment where you teshuva, where you repent, where you see who you truly are, where you come back to the right path. This is what we're called to do as Christians is to give those teshuva moments. And, and I'd encourage you to be asking before you give that prophetic words, before you share what you feel God's saying, is going, is this a moment that supplies faith or does it demand it? That's a key question to ask because your prophetic words, what you speak from God should give faith. Did you know that in the Bible, um, it actually doesn't talk much about how you grow in faith because God doesn't want you to grow in your faith. He wants you to grow in his faith, his gift of faith that's constantly being given and that's what grows. And actually there's only one place that expressly says how you grow in faith. It's in Romans. And it says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And that word is not the Bible. It's, it's God's spoken words is, is the, the word there. And so it says that it's when we hear God's voice, we grow in faith. And what are you doing when you prophesy? You are giving someone God's voice. You're speaking their voice. So what should it be doing? It should be giving faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God. So when you give the word of God, when you prophesy to someone, it should carry faith. It shouldn't require it. So faith doesn't require faith. Uh, prophecy doesn't require faith. It supplies it. It gives someone a faith. And, and faith isn't complex. Faith is just to trust. Okay, so again, I'm going to teach on this in depth. But faith, the word just simply means to trust. And so when I speak something, what does it require for you to have faith? You just go, okay. If you just believe what God has said, if you receive it, then you've received his faith. It doesn't require you to go and rock backwards and forwards in your prayer closet and go, okay, I need to believe, I need to believe, I need to believe. You just go, okay. And so are you giving people a rhema word, this word that gives people that is a gift of faith? Um, that's a question I want you to ask. And I want you to ask as well, does this create a teshuva moment? Does it, does it reveal to people who they truly are? Because your prophecy should never reveal who they're not. It should reveal who they are. And like, it's easy to, to do the flip side. Well, this is who you're not. And God's, that's, right? So what you're doing right now is not who you're really, blah, 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 blah. But you should be revealing who they are, not who they're not. Okay? Um, another example of this would be uh, this happened in my school and it was really messy. Um, but we got sent out to um, go and uh, just share the gospel with people in the streets and different things like that. Um, And one of the students went into this ice cream parlor and they heard God say, the woman that's serving you ice cream used to be a prostitute. And, uh, and she was like, Oh, okay. And so she went to this woman and she's like, Hey, do you have a minute? I just want to share something from God. And she's like, yeah, of course. And she's like, God says that you used to be a prostitute. Um, But, he sees you as righteous and holy and, and you know, you've, you're pure and you're spotless. And, and and the woman was like really touched and blessed. And she really was because she, she, she just heard all this amazing stuff about how God saw her. It was really powerful. But there was some information there that really didn't need to be shared. And actually this woman got fired from her job because one of her coworkers overheard this, then told their boss and, oh, and we couldn't possibly have this woman work because she was a prostitute. In a, in a past life, you know what I mean? Like, it's so crazy. But what's the point? God tells you something and that's really useful, helpful information. Oh my gosh, this woman used to be a prostitute. That's, that's information that I can use to really encourage her and speak into her life. So if she used to be a prostitute, what are some of the thoughts that are going on in her head? What are some of the ways she might see herself? And how can I create a teshuva moment? How can I reveal to her who she truly is, who she was made to be, who she really is? All the great stuff that student said. God sees you as holy and that's all it requires to say, hey, can I have a word with you? And she comes to the side and she's like, yeah, I'd love, yeah. And you say, I really feel God saying that he sees you as holy and pure and perfect. You're a woman of great purity. He really sees an intense amount of purity in you. And you're just a woman that really is incredible um, in, in so many ways. And You can just prophesy into her, whatever that looks like, right? That is telling her who she is. You don't need to say who she isn't anymore. You don't need to fixate on the past, on the sin, on the whatever. And, and so many people get that wrong. In fact, so many people do that and they don't even give the good bit, right? They expect you to repent on your own. They expect you to find the path on your own. They expect you to walk the path on your own. And again, they require faith and not supply it. So it's really important that we get this. We have to understand that we are children of God and, and, and you know it's easy you're going to be practicing in here you're going to be giving prophecy to each other and that's going to be really fun really exciting and it's a really safe place okay you're not going to make too many mistakes okay so um, you know if you call out the fact that Chris used to be a prostitute you know he's be a bit embarrassed but not massively so uh, <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Don't <laughs> be to, you know, air your dirty laundry. Um, but you know, like it, it, it's a safe place to to experiment to be like, and and maybe you can give each other feedback and go. Well, you know what? Actually, that like wasn't as helpful, and and or maybe you could said that, or you know, or this was really good. I mean, that's what we want in this environment for us to practice, and and even broader than that at church practice after this week. Gosh, I want you to prophesy over every person in church. Okay, I cannot explain enough. Like. When you go to church and you see someone sitting on their own, go chat to them, make friends with them, hang out with them. But prophesy over them, prophesy over anybody and everybody, end every like conversation in a prophet, prophetic words. It doesn't have to be like this big, oh, the Lord has said this, blah blah blah. Right? We don't need that. But like, just end the thing and just, be like, hey, I really enjoyed talking to you. You know, I really see that you're a person of great wisdom and inspiration. I really feel God's going to use that to encourage the younger generation. Boom, and then move on. Like that's a cool way to end a conversation anyway, right? I mean, how cool is that? Um, But like, just be prophesying machines. Be people that prophesy over everyone. Um, But it's a safe environment again, okay? You're you're unlikely to give a prophecy in Kingsway and really uh, cause a big mess because a lot of people here, they just know who they are. They're secure in who they are. They can, um, and so if you make a mistake, there's a lot of room to make a mistake. But again, it's a safe place because we know, well, they're Christians as well, right? And so it's, it's safe prophesying over Christians. But what does it look like when we start prophesying over non-Christians? Because that's where a lot of um, Christians are gonna have problems because they're, like, well, they're not, they're not holy, they're not pure, they're not righteous. And I think this is where, um, and we're gonna delve into this as we go on throughout the school as well. But I'm just gonna give you some of these, just to, a lot of this stuff that I'm sharing now, is just stuff you be meditating and thinking about as we go through um, the week and then further on through the school is, where does it say they're not perfect? They're not holy, they're not pure. Because what I see Jesus say is the exact opposite. What I see Paul say, when Paul says, I see no man according to the flesh. And in fact, I see the whole earth as a new creation. I don't see him going, well, Christians are now perfect and spotless in God's eyes, but the people that haven't prayed a prayer, they're filthy, rotten sinners. I don't see it in the scripture. You see, in the scripture, Paul emphatically says the world is spotless and pure and righteous. In fact, you look at that passage in Romans. It says, if one man sins, all sinned. And one man was righteous and now all are righteous. We're really good at believing the first part, right? We're really good at preaching. Well, Je- well, Adam sinned and now the whole world is sinners. And Jesus was righteous. And so those that pray a specific prayer are righteous. That's not what it says, is it? It says that all have been made righteous. Now, I'm not saying all get into heaven or whatever, anything else like that, okay? So it's, it's not about, um, I don't think who you are, let, let me put it this way, who you are does not determine your eternal destination, okay? So whether you're uh, righteous or unrighteous is not the qualifier as to whether you go into heaven or not, okay? Um, we'll talk about heaven and hell and things like that, much further down the line as well. But um, let me quote uh, Robert Capone, a very famous uh, uh, priest once said, heaven and hell are full of forgiven sinners. And so all sinners are forgiven. Some go to heaven, some go to hell. So whether you're forgiven and righteous and pure and spotless is irrelevant. It depends on, are you going to engage with a relationship with God? Okay, so that person that's walking down the street right now that knows nothing of Jesus, Jesus has forgiven him. Jesus has paid for his sins. Jesus looks at him and goes, man, I love him so much. I've forgiven him of everything. I see him as acceptable, as righteous. He has, he's exactly where, um, he's exactly who I made him to be, what I want him to be. I just want him to sheshuva. I just want him to have that revelation of who he really is so he can start walking on that path and so again your call is to do just that you give the tissue of a moment you reveal who they are not who they aren't and so i don't think there's any reason to change how you prophesy based on whether they're a christian or whether they're not a christian the message is the same god made you He loves you. He's passionate about you. You were made in the image of God. You look like Jesus. The reason that Jesus came and he looked like a guy is because you're like God. That's what God likeness looks like. Like a person. You are like God. Like you're his child and he delights in you. He loves you. He doesn't see your sin. He forgives you. He's accepted you. Do you want to accept him? Do you want to walk with him? Do you want to start enjoying that journey? Because Maybe you don't feel acceptable. Maybe you don't feel great. Maybe you don't feel like you know what's going on in life. Maybe you don't feel like you've got a handle on life. That's there for you. That's possible for you. And what it does is it breaks down what we often create in the world, especially in the church, is this us and them mentality. We love an us and them as long as we're us. As soon as we become them, we don't really like it, right? It's amazing, isn't it? How many places do you find yourself as the them and you enjoy it? None. You want to become us. Um, And yet when we're us, we quite like that those are them. Because what does it do? It raises us above someone else. So we don't like being below, but we kind of like being above. And the truth is, God goes, actually that whole system doesn't exist. And so this is why the church can get very high and mighty and feel better than the rest of the world because we are us and they are them. And That's actually what Jesus came to completely deconstruct. Israel had this thing of we are God's favorite country. We're his people. We follow his ways. We have access to him through our temple, our ways, our laws. And Jesus came along and went, actually I'm scrapping the whole system because everyone's in and everyone's invited. And they didn't like it. Why? Because that went like that. Well, actually it didn't do that. It brought everyone else up, right? and so it's very easy when we, when we find ourselves in a position uh, where we can create an us and them to start to devolve it. And, and so I'd encourage you in your prophetic words that you, you never have an us and them. You never try and go, um, you, you don't speak down to someone in that way. You know? And if there's ever a speaking down to someone, it's to raise them up to realize, well, actually I see you on my level. I see you where I am. God sees you in you see yourself out. Let me talk to you as someone that's in. Let me bring you in. Let me draw you in. And so, um, the prophetic is always um, inclusive, um, and so it's never exclusive. The prophetic is never given to exclude someone. It's always given to include someone. And so, if you find your prophetic words is exclusive, then you've got it wrong. You you you've missed the point. Yeah, of course. So, um, let's look at Jesus. Okay. So Jesus was the king of inclusion. Okay. And a lot of people get nervous around the word inclusive. Um, you'll find a lot of Christians don't like inclusivity because they think it means that everyone's saved or any of that kind of stuff. And if that's your problem, just use the word expansive. <laughs> okay. I'll just use a different word that means the same thing, but Jesus was the king of including or, ex- or expanding his gospel. And so, um, I mean, it's amazing to me that Jesus comes along and he preaches to um, certain groups of people. And there was always, all the way through the gospels, you find new people introduced that were not included. Okay, tax collector, oh, they're bad. They are not included. And Jesus suddenly just goes, oh, this little circle. Mm, let's have the circle here because then it includes tax collectors. And all the us's go, oh, we don't like that because they were them. And Jesus goes, not anymore. And you can't challenge me because I'm Jesus, right? Uh, the woman at the well goes, oh, there's no way I've been divorced so many times. You know, and Jesus goes, nope, you're in my circle. I have a problem with that. And she's like, but my circle's this size. And he's like, well, mine's bigger. So your circle's inside my circle and you're allowed. Um, you know, there's so many people consistently, the, the woman caught in adultery. Well, she's sinful. She's not included. And he goes, well, we're all sinful. Let's just have a big circle that includes sinners, right? And everyone's kind of like, Okay, yeah, I guess so, because actually I don't want my sin exposed. So maybe I'll just accept that we're all sinful. Um, there's consistently um, people that are outside of the circle, even people that Jesus seems to suggest might even be outside the circle, right? So you've got the woman that's a Samaritan comes and she's like, can I have something? And he's like, no, it's not for you, right? Um, but then we find out she's like, well, like, come on, even don't. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Actually, you are in. And so it's just this whole like mind-bending game Jesus is playing. We're going, oh no, there is someone that isn't included. It's those people we don't like, the Samaritans. And then he goes, no, just kidding. Right? And he's got the story, right? The Good Samaritan is that story as well, right? It's nothing to do with that. It's, it's about the fact that, oh, well, priests, they're in. So when the priests walk by and go, oh, we're not helping him because we're us and they're them, Right? And then you go, oh, well, okay. But then maybe these guys would help because they're quite good and they walk by and it's like, no, they didn't help either, right? And it was because they were us and them, right? But then you've got the Samaritans who are the bad guys. They are like the villains in Israel. They're like the people we do not like, right? They're like um, in Donald Trump's America, they're the Muslims, okay? Right? I mean, they are just bad. Like, um, and it's totally wrong right? I mean, there's nowhere in the world you're going to go and go, oh, they're all evil, right? I mean, like for crying out loud, like I, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East and I'm always amazed by how colored our view of the Middle East can be that we go into the Middle East and we go, oh wait, no, they're exactly like us. Like exactly. They hang out with their families, they have a laugh, they joke with their friends, they go and meet with their friends after work, they have jobs, they love their families. They, I mean, they're like us. They laugh the same, they cry the same. You cut them, they bleed the same stuff, right? I mean, they are like us. And yet it's really easy for us to create this us and them. And so this is what was going on in Israel is that the worst of the people were the Samaritans. They're definitely outside, right? And Jesus goes, and so the Samaritan did the God-like thing. He was like God. He helped the person. That's a great person. The Samaritan is your neighbor, That's the person that you should be uh, proud to associate yourself with. And so all of a sudden he just goes, let's draw the circle even bigger. And everyone's sitting going, I do not like this circle drawing Jesus. (laughs) Because every time I can think of a new person that's not allowed, he just goes, nope, they're in as well. And so you've got like the Romans, right? I mean, gosh, you're actually under Roman occupation. They've taken over your nation. They forced Roman laws on you. They um, have garrisons all throughout the, the land. They make you do crazy things like censuses and travel all the way home to just tick a box and things. Like that. I mean, they're doing a lot of stuff. They're pretty harsh as well. They crucify people. They do, I mean, they're not the nicest of people, um, although they're not terrible people as well, actually. Again, great civilizations. They were people. They loved their families. They would laugh. They cry. They did all the good stuff, um, and the Jews would have hated these guys, right? Because they were the picture of, they've taken away our, uh, our identity, our ability to be God's favorite nation and all this different stuff. We're now in occupation. We need a Messiah to set us free from these, these terrible, terrible Romans. And what does Jesus come along? And he goes, comes along and he goes, oh, a Roman. Yeah, sure, I'll heal your kid." In fact, do you know what? There's only two people in the whole of the go- gospels that Jesus says, wow, You've got incredible faith. I love your faith. Do you know who they were? A Roman, Roman, a Roman with the and a Samaritan. Oh, right. Two people that are not even Jewish. They're outside the circle. And Jesus goes, actually, you've got the most faith I've seen yet. And, and the Jews are just like, stop expanding my circle. Right? I mean, can you imagine you um, are in a amazing conference at church? And this guy's like calling out people. He's like, Well, your phone number is this and this and you did this and you're this and and he's just so accurate, prophetic words. And then he points to a guy in the back and he says, Come up here, come up here and the person's kind of hiding their face a little bit and coming up and, and he's like, I just wanna say you are the most incredible person ever. You follow God extraordinarily. And they go, I'm a Muslim. like can you imagine how awkward that would feel but that's kind of what was happening when Jesus goes look at this Roman you've got more faith than anyone that's how everyone would have felt about this Roman they'd have been like what how dare you say this guy's got more faith I'm a Jew I've been living my whole life right I went through all these different things I've memorized the Talmud and the Torah and, and Jesus going oh this guy's got loads of faith or he says it about the Samaritan that would be so offensive sorry they would, yeah, well, and exactly, people got upset when he said things like this. Um, but so Jesus is constantly expanding and expanding. And, and here's the thing, if your prophetic word is ever creating a line that says you're not in, or you're not welcome, or you're doing something that keeps you out, you've missed the point. Because the prophetic word carries this message, you're welcome, you're in, you're accepted, you're loved. It's the only message of the gospel. The gospel's core message is welcome home does that help me kind of did that help expand kind of that expand um but yeah so it's really it's really important that we get this it's really important that we see people as God sees people and and actually this is one of the beauties and and why do we prophesy I think oftentimes we we have, this, uh, um, we have this thing of like, oh, look at me, I'm prophesying. Check me out. Prophet right here, right? I can hear God. You can't hear God, let me tell you. And actually, I think we kind of got it a bit warped, right? Because obviously we learned last week, everyone can hear God. So it's, it's not predominantly that we hear God better than other people and we're going to tell them. Um, actually, I think a lot of the times the prophetic is there to cut us challenge us and a lot of times god's going to speak to you about other people and it's not even a message you're supposed to share with them it's a message that you need to hear and so god will tell you that person used to struggle um and was abused as a child you don't need to tell them that they know that and maybe there's stuff you can speak into their life and benefit and, and it will help your relationship as you love them but actually maybe it's stuff that you need to hear of like hey they're really really um Standoffish. They always get really upset. They don't want to hug me, and it's like, oh, now I can not understand why, right? Or I, I don't know. You know, like maybe it's uh, God just says to them, says to you, they're going through a really hard time right now, and, and you suddenly realize, oh, that's why they've not been messaging me, and so I'm not going to go to this place where I'm judging them and thinking, oh, they're not messaging me because they hate me or because I said this or because that, and you start to create this whole thing that doesn't even exist. And actually, God sometimes prophesies who people are and what's going on in their lives for your benefit. And it's not even something that needs to be shared. It's just something helpful for you to know. And maybe he's prophesying where people are going so you know where people are going, what's going on, what's happening. Um, And so just be conscious that not everything you hear needs to be communicated. A lot of times it's for your benefit, for you to understand what's going on, who that person is. There was this uh, woman that once... um, was teaching again um, at this place I used to go. And she was saying, I love the prophetic because I learn how God sees other people. And see, it's not just about having other people learn who they are. It's actually about reminding you who they are. How often do we see what they're doing and what they're about and what they said and all that different stuff. And we create that to be their identity. Oh, sheila she's not very nice she's really mean she's really this she's really that well that's not very christ-like and so yeah that might be all true but how does god see her and so sometimes we actually have to go on that teshuva for the person as well and we see them in who they truly are and actually that's the prophetic as well that there's um The prophetic doesn't need to be communicated to the person. Sometimes it's you hear God and you see the person differently. And that's just as important as you telling them and they see themselves differently. Other times it's just you hear it. And so there's an element of when you give prophetic words, whether you speak them or not, whether it's just to hear it, it should be changing your view of the person as well. And you miss out on a huge blessing that prophetic um, gifting has when you don't see a person differently after the prophetic words. So God might say, "That person's going to start a business and it's going to go remarkably well, blah, blah, blah blah." You give that word. It's your responsibility to see that person in that way now. If you don't see them that way, you don't believe the prophetic words. Never mind them. And so you need to be the person that sees that. And when they're struggling and you you gave them a favor and said, you're going to start a business. And they go, oh, that's amazing. And six months later, they still haven't started and they're really struggling financially and they're really getting upset and discouraged. You come along and go, what's going on? Like, why are you discouraged? Remember the word that God gave you. Remember who you truly are. Teshuvah, yeah? Renew your mind. And so it's this um, invitation um, into relationship. And, And here's the thing as well. I would encourage you, there, there's going to be some example, some opportunities in life where you prophesy over someone and you never see them again and things like that. But in, in the situations where you prophesy over people, you know, um, or you will continue to know in the future, it's an opportunity to deepen your relationship and you should take it as such. You should use it as an opportunity to deepen that relationship. You should use it as an opportunity to see that person more as God sees them. Um, And that will always deepen your relationship. As you draw people in, as you supply faith into their life, as you um, bless them in that way, it's always gonna deep, it's gonna create the opportunity for a deepened relationship. And on your end of it, you should be looking to do that. Um, And so be asking questions. How, what do I do next after that prophetic word? Because you give someone a prophetic words, hey, I see you starting a business, for example. And they go, oh wow, it's amazing. They have an obligation, right? they should go start a business or or at least go, oh, maybe I'll go to business school or maybe I should uh, get an extra couple of shifts so I can save some money extra so I can start saving to start a business or whatever it is. Or maybe I need to think about some ideas to start a business. There's all sorts of different responses we have to the prophetic word that, that is our response. When we get a prophetic word, we should do something. But when we give a prophetic word, there's also an opportunity um, that we get to actually become practical hands and feet to that prophetic word as well. And so maybe we give that prayer word, hey, you're gonna start a business now. Like, oh, wow, it's amazing. I do not know anything about starting a business. And you go, well, I know someone that started a business recently. I can put you in touch and you can ask some questions, right? I mean, that's and simple, but you are investing in them as well. And, and again, it's about developing relationship. It's about giving God something to work with. It's, it's not just about saying something. It's about giving something of yourself. It's about being um, something in that situation. And so always ask yourself, as you give prophetic words, ask yourself, what do I have to offer this person in that way? Um, maybe you give someone a prophetic words and they've gone through some really rough stuff and they don't see themselves very well. And you give them this prophetic word. No, you're pure. You're holy. God sees you righteous. God sees you perfect. And I just burst person's tears. like, I don't see myself like that. And you go, all right, well, bye. Right? No. <laughs> right? You have so much to offer. You can talk to them. You can go, well, why don't you see yourself? Well, that's not how God sees it. And you, know, and, and, and you can engage and you can, you can let's meet up for coffee. and Let's talk about us some more, you know, or whatever it looks like. You know, you, you can engage and you can love and you can um, give. And so be looking for opportunities to go beyond the prophetic as well. Because at the end of the day, the prophetic, uh, it carries faith. It carries this power to change. It carries grace. But at, the, at a certain point, it only goes so far. It needs people to engage with it and you have the opportunity to help people engage with your prophetic word as well. Um, and that's not to say, uh, give a word and then become manipulative, trying to make it happen either. You know, if you, if you get a prophetic word, and it just tanks and it doesn't work, you know, maybe you got it wrong. That's okay. Like, it's fine. Like sometimes you'll get it wrong. Like, like hearing God's voice we talked about last week. Sometimes you're like, Oh, I heard God. And then like a couple of weeks later, you're like, uh, maybe I didn't. Right. And It's like, Oh, maybe I made a mistake. It's, that's okay. Right. Um, that's just totally normal. As we learn to hear God's voice, we're going to get better and better at that. And we're going to see the mistakes happen less and less, but don't, don't worry about the mistakes. Be quick to admit your mistakes. You know, I think if there's one thing I will say, um, that really disgusts me, uh, if I'm honest in the charismatic movement is how many big prophets give prophetic words, um, that are, from my perspective, seem quite manipulative. So God's saying Trump's going to be the next president or, God's saying if uh, this bill passes and homosexuals are allowed to marry, then all of San Francisco is going to disappear in an earthquake and it's going to go underwater. And that, that was one of my most uh, respected prophets that I, I really love and value said that uh, five years ago. He said, it's going to happen this year when California, if they pass this bill, there's going to be a huge earthquake and there's going to be a massive tsunami and there won't be most of California, it will be underwater because God will judge it. And I was like, what? Like, I was like, oh, and you look through those list of things I just told you, like, does it teshuva? Is it encouraging? Is it inclusive? Is it? And you're like, no, 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 right? But what annoys me more is that they said it will happen when this bill happens and that's what will happen. And it didn't. And do you know what really annoys me is they didn't have the humility to say, I totally missed it. I didn't hear God." And so, you know, that's an extreme example. Okay. Hopefully you're not going to give prophecies about entire nations or cities being swallowed up in the ground because of a bill that the government passes. Okay. Hopefully we're going to understand throughout this week that that's not how God works. Um, But when you give a prophetic words and you go, oh, I just totally missed it. Be quick to go, I'm really sorry. My bad. And maybe you give a right words and people say, no, you've totally missed it. And you go, I didn't feel like I missed it, but you know, I'm learning. So I'm really sorry. And maybe like a week later, they come back to you and go, no, I'm really sorry. That was right. (laughs) Right. I don't know, but be, be humble, be willing to admit you're, you're learning, you're flawed. You can make mistakes because the last thing I want to do is uh, to continue to prop up that cycle where there's people that give these prophetic words and they just aren't accountable. Like it annoys me. Because the next time they give this prophetic words, they give another prophetic word. God's going to judge America for this, or God's doing this or that. And no one seems to go, uh, you got us wrong the last like four times. We're not going to believe you. They seem to grab onto it and go, oh no. And I'm like, really? Really? Is this happening? And yeah, it does. And so don't be that kind of person because you're, You harden your heart and you cause yourself to think, I always get it right. I always hear God just right. And What I say is thus saith the Lord. And let me break it to you. What you say is never thus saith the Lord. Because what you say is always, I heard God say something and I interpreted it, added my own interpretation, whatever it might be, as little as it might be, and then told you. So you're always gonna bring a bias to your prophetic words. You, you just are. You can't escape your bias, and it hopefully is going to be as little as possible. But you always will bring a bias, and be honest and open and teachable and humble enough to know that. Um, so that's just complete derailment. I'm not really sure what that was. It's was probably someone else's topic to talk about, but um, but just be conscious of um, your own fallibility in one sense. Okay. So we we all hear God's, but we all don't hear God perfectly. And we all bring our own baggage to hearing God. And so just engage with your prophetic words, if it's not. And and that's another reason again, to follow up with your prophetic words. When you give people prophetic words, go ask them a couple months later, hey, when I said this, what did you think? How did you feel? Has that come about? Because if they go, actually, no, it didn't work out at all. You go, oh, okay. Do you think that's maybe because you didn't engage with it? Or do you think I maybe heard God wrong? Because I'm just learning. Be really real. Like It's okay to ask and to learn because actually that's where you start to go, okay, so when I thought God said that, he obviously didn't. So what else could he have been saying? Right? I mean, that's a good question. That's good things to ask because you start to learn your blindsides, your biases, and also you learn how to hear the nuances of God's voice. Thank you for listening to the Our Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.